Hi, I'm Kathleen Gallagher, a Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist and the executive director of the Milwaukee Institute. And this is How Did You Do That, a show about successful entrepreneurs and how and why they succeeded. My career path has really been running progressively smaller and perhaps, as a result, riskier companies. But what I've found is that I really enjoy the startup environment and trying to build something uh, and working with a small team, trying to build something that nobody else could perhaps do. Lauren Peterson's path to a successful startup company began on a Nebraska farm that was a half mile from the nearest neighbor and several miles from the closest town of 600 people. After graduating from University of Nebraska and working at a big accounting firm, Lauren landed a job as chief financial officer of a St. Louis pharmaceutical company and found the industry in which he would make his mark. Lauren headed and sold a respiratory drug company, then was hired by a venture capital firm to turn around a struggling startup that was trying to bring a new drug to market. He raised much-needed funding in a round led by Wisconsin-based investors, and as a requirement of their investment, moved the startup to Milwaukee. Five years later, in 2010, Lauren led the sale of Zystor Therapeutics to Biomarin Pharmaceutical for $22 million, plus as much as $93 million more if certain milestones were met. Lauren, welcome to How Did You Do That? Thanks, Kathleen. It's a pleasure to be here with you today. Um, you know, you've come a long way from that little town on the Great Plains. Um, it was your SAT score among the top 100 in Nebraska that year that got you to college, right? Well, I'd like to think I could have gotten into college even without that, but uh, it was the uh, uh, fact that I received the uh, full-ride scholarship to the University of Nebraska as a result of those scores, which uh, made my decision on where to go to college for me. And why Nebraska? Well, again, coming from a small town and being a first-generation uh, college student, I never really considered the option of going anywhere else. I didn't realize, quite frankly, somewhat naively, that you couldn't uh, go anywhere besides the University of Nebraska. So it was the only only college I ever considered. And, and once I got the scholarship, uh, like I said, the decision was sort of made for me. You were in the big time, huh? Yes. <laughs> so you got an accounting degree. Very practical of you, right? And then you... Um, you got a job in accounting at, at a big accounting firm. One of those firms, you ended up in New York for a while, right? And Correct. One of those firms, how many people work there compared to? <laughs> well, I um, I spent 15 years uh, with Coopers and Libran, which was a predecessor company to Price Waterhouse Coopers. I did spend two years in the mid-'80s working in their national office in New York, uh, where the joke around the office was that the uh, office size of 1,200 people was twice as large as my hometown. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> That's something to think about. What made you move to the pharmaceutical industry, though? You were in accounting for a long time. I was in for a long time. Uh, I really enjoyed the experience, got a pretty good background in a number of different industries. Um, I was attracted to the, the healthcare industry overall and uh, had a situation with some people that I actually knew well, uh, had a pharmaceutical sales and marketing company, um, they needed a chief financial officer that could help them with their rather rapid growth and um, hired me away where I quickly found out that it was a lot more fun to uh, be the client of a public accounting firm than to actually have clients. So um, it was it was a great move. And as, as you indicated earlier, it really started me uh, down the path of, of being an executive in the healthcare industry. So you did that for a while. And then 
you and some colleagues did a transaction that got you control of a publicly traded respiratory drug company, right? And you moved it from New York to St. Louis. How'd that go? Well, um, everybody makes mistakes in their entrepreneurial journey. Um, this, I think, you could chalk up as one of mine. Um, being CEO of a publicly traded company was a lot different than anything that I had done before. And uh, quite frankly, it was a difficult market to actually be raising additional capital in. And uh, my colleagues and I had recently been involved in the, the sale of the, the first pharmaceutical company that I was involved in, which we sold to Sanofi for a lot of money uh, back in the mid-1990s. So we thought we could do anything and uh, realized after five years of struggling trying to make this uh, respiratory drug delivery company a success, we ended up being basically able to sell it to another company for about what the investors had put into it. So it was a, it was a long hall of basically accomplishing almost nothing. So if it had been a movie, what movie would it have been? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that, that's a very good good question. At times, it, uh, having shareholders, uh, many of whom felt like they should be able to talk to me at any time, uh, I felt like I was in some surreal remake of the producers because <laughs> I kept getting phone calls from shareholders who claimed to represent more than 50% of the outstanding shares of the company. And when this happens half a dozen times, you realize that uh, something's not right. You remember the moment you realized it? Uh, well, yeah, there there were times when I, the one time that it really occurred to me that I needed to get out of this was when my family was opening presents on Christmas morning and I received a phone call from a shareholder wanting to wish me a Merry Christmas and talk about the company. Mm, yeah, <laughs> maybe the wrong time. Huh? <laughs> so I would think, you know, you, you did your practical degree. I would think you had that experience and you'd, you'd move to safety. You'd, you'd go somewhere safer, but you didn't, did you? No, um, that's true because I my career path has really been uh, running progressively smaller and perhaps as a result riskier companies. But what I found is that I really enjoy the startup environment and trying to build something uh, and working with a small team, trying to build something that nobody else could perhaps do. And while my background is not in, in science, I've always been able to partner with people that had the sort of in-depth technical knowledge that was necessary but didn't necessarily have the business background to build the company. And as a team, we were able to accomplish things that none of us individually would have been able to do. So is it like a competitive thing for you or an intellectual curiosity thing? Um, I think it's a common. It's not necessarily competitive. Um, I'm not particularly... Um, trying to do better than anybody else. We're just trying to um, do the right thing, both for the patients uh, in the healthcare business that we're, we're trying to help, as well as trying to make a good return for our, our investors and our stockholders. Now that sounds like an accountant. Yes. <laughs> so it was a St. Louis venture firm that came to you and talked to you about running this company. The company became known as Zystore Therapeutics. You were working on a drug for, how do you say it, POMP? Pompe. Pompe disease. Um, that's that disease that was, um, it's a rare genetic disorder, right, that involves Correct. an enzyme deficiency. Um, it was kind of made known in that movie, Extraordinary Measures. It was. And as a matter of fact, um, 
John Crowley, who's uh, the gentleman whose uh, family uh, has the disease itself, um, actually served on the board of directors of Zystor when we initially formed. Um, and we've, I've gotten to know, we got to know John before he became uh, part of the, the, uh, the Hollywood scene, I guess. Well, yeah, that movie came out in 2010, the year you sold Zystor. I bet you wish it would have come out in 2005 when you started, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I guess that's probably true. Um, but again, the, the fact that we were working in rare orphan disease um, these are very personal to the families that are involved with them. So it's different than the shareholders of a public company. You actually have parents of children who are suffering from these diseases who would really do anything to try to find something that would cure their child. And since we were operating in that space, we ended up, you know, working with a lot of the patient advocacy groups and, and others who were trying to, to solve the problems that were created by Pompeii disease. So and then there were the problems you had. I mean, you started at this startup and it didn't have any money and and there were things you had to change about the technology, right? Right. The initial technology had been licensed uh, from Harvard University um, and the founder of the company was had moved from Harvard to Washington University in St. Louis. That technology, while very interesting, they were having a difficult time to raise money around because the regulatory path to get the drug approved, because it was such a novel way of, of approaching this, no investor would get behind it. The company prior to my coming on board had hired a gentleman who later served as, as Zystor's chief scientific officer. He came up with a a different means of basically delivering these enzyme replacement therapies to the lysosome of a cell uh, using a different receptor on the cell surface. As a result of that, we didn't need to continue to um, use the, the license that we had from Harvard. And quite frankly, the initial founder, the original founder of the company became sort of unnecessary to the company. So one of the first things I ended up having to do and one of the most difficult things uh, I think you ever have to do in a small company is uh, uh, get rid of the founder. And so we were, uh, we were able to find a way to uh, buy him out of the company uh, so that we could effectively have a fresh start. And then you had, you made this guy with the new technology. His name is John... John Leibowitz. Yeah, you made him your chief science... He was the science, chief scientific officer, correct. Did you understand everything he was talking about? <laughs> <laughs> well, as an accountant, uh, I'm, I'm not much of a biochemist. I had to learn enough of the science that I could speak to it in investor conferences and with my board of directors and otherwise, but I was very reliant upon my chief scientific officers and the other people back in the lab to, to truly uh, understand the development strategy and the regulatory strategy that was necessary to move this therapeutic forward. So you had to trust that he was being straight with you. Correct. Um, part of the reason I enjoy working in the small company environment that John and I, quite frankly, got to you know, treat each other almost as, as brothers. So we trusted each other I, inherently. I had to rely on him. He had to rely on me because while he and his colleagues were back in the lab splicing DNA together. I and uh, the my part-time controller were actually, you know, trying to figure out how much cash we were going to blow through in the next year. And neither one of us could do what the other one did. So it worked well. 
Did you ever wish, um, you know, in in the darkest moments, did you, and there, you must have had many, did you ever wish you were back on the farm? <laughs> uh, no, I can't say that I ever have because no matter how bad things might have seemed uh, in any of the uh, work situation or work environments that I've been I could always look back and think, gee, this is still a lot better than stacking hay in 100-degree heat back on the farm in Nebraska. So um, I I never really wanted to go back, no. I, I hear you there. Um, a few years in, you worked out a partnership with Genzyme, right? And and there was some money they put into your Correct. Um, Genzyme was in the uh, sort of overall business at the time of uh, developing therapies for the treatment of lysosomal storage diseases and of, of which Pompeii disease is one. We worked out a research partnership with them whereby we took in several million dollars of non-dilutive funding to move the project forward. They had an option to acquire the company. Um, that sounds promising. It And it was very promising um, right up until the time that the option uh, had to be exercised by September 30th, 2008. Uh-oh. And if anybody Bad recalls, <laughs> uh, uh, sort of consistent with the stock market uh, we have today, the bottom fell out of the market in the middle of September. And Genzyme uh, declined to exercise the option. And we were kind of back to the drawing board of trying to find an exit uh, for the company because the next step really is going to involve very expensive clinical trials and the investor syndicate that we had put together didn't have the financial wherewithal to actually put in the additional, you know, 20, 30, 40 million dollars that it was it's, going to it's take. It's one of those moments where you think about um, stacking hay and Yes, uh, you do. But then again, you what you do the next day is you get on the phone, talk to other companies uh, that might be interested in having further discussions with you about this. And Ultimately, we were very fortunate, as you indicated earlier, to uh, two years later, or less than two years later, we sold the company to Biomarin Pharmaceuticals. And while it wasn't uh, probably the same home run that it would have been if the Gen- if Genzyme would have exercised its option to acquire Zystor, uh, it still made the investors happy. The therapy continued to be developed at Biomarin, and uh, it was the best outcome, I think, for all parties involved. Yeah, congratulations for that. I want to move to what you're doing now because it's interesting. You, After you sold Zystor, you became chief financial officer and a managing director at Venture Investors, which was one of the investors in Zystor. You stopped doing that in 2016. Tell us about what you're doing now. Sure. I um, am very fortunate today to be working as a part-time entrepreneur in residence at both uh, the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee as well as Concordia University, uh, helping their faculty get their research commercialized to the extent that has, it has commercial potential. I really enjoy the process of, of working with uh, entrepreneurs, especially a lot of times they're academics that haven't really thought about what life might look like outside of academia. Um, and have had some success in working. I'm, I'm probably working with at least half a dozen startups now. Um, but you, you've also at least helped some people at Medical College of Wisconsin. Yes, and I, yeah. I've, I have uh, served on the uh, different committees at the Medical College and, and I'm working with some of the faculty out there as well separately. But um, nevertheless, it's been very satisfying to me because, again, just like I was doing with John Leibowitz back at Zystor, uh, partnering with very very smart 
scientists who, you know, have something which might change the world, um, but at the same time, they don't know how to get it to the point where it might change the world. And uh, the biggest thing that most of these new startup entrepreneurs lack is experience raising money so that they can finance the development work that is necessary before they actually have revenue. So again, in the space that I've worked in, you know, the whole idea of actually having revenue is somewhat novel to me because we uh, are always working before we get approval. uh, And so that ends up burning up a lot of capital before you actually have revenue to show for it. It's great to see how you're helping people coming after you to try and have the kind of exit you had. So thanks yes. so much for sharing the story with us. Thank you very much. You can read more about this story and find links to resources by visiting wwm.com. You can also explore episodes of How Did You Do That at wwm.com, at the iTunes Store, or wherever you get your podcasts.